The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. Mortgage Women Magazine. It's where women's voices are heard. Find it free at www.mortgagewomenmagazine.com. What's next for product development in the mortgage industry, and what can we learn from other industries in how they develop their technology? Welcome to The Principal. I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. And today I'm joined by Sydney Bosick. She's director of product development for Appraisal Vision. She's also one of Mortgage Women Magazine's 2023 Women of Tech, so she can tell us a little bit more about how we can get women into this space. And Sydney, now that I have the recording going, before you, before we start, can you just uh, say your name for me? How do you pronounce your last name? Bosick. Bosick. And what's your title? Director of Product Management. Okay. Um, so let me... All right. Sydney, thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And so obviously we are talking with you as a woman of tech. Um, congratulations first off on, on being included in our, in our honorees. Thank you. It was, it was definitely an honor. And, and I guess just that, you know, we've had some of these recently with, you know, honoring women in tech, honoring diversity leaders in mortgage industry, honoring people who are helping some of these, these groups of people um, continue to advance in the industry. And and I'm sure you hear it. We hear it all the time, the conversation of why do we continue to, to need these things? I guess just starting off, do you, do you still feel like it's important to do something like celebrating women who are advancing in tech? Or do you think we've gotten to the point where it, it's commonplace to see women in tech and this isn't necessary? Uh, that's a great question. I I recently just finished my master's in business analytics and information systems. And the class was primarily male and it... it um, I, I think it's definitely something to be celebrated and I, it's great that it's being talked about. And I think what you guys are doing to highlight the women in tech is great. I, I think putting it out there and informing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, that's, uh, no I, I think, I think, cause you know, obviously our conversation tends to be on the mortgage industry cause that's the audience we serve. But particularly here, I mean, it sounds like what you're running into is just in general with with STEM, with tech, we don't have a lot of of women in that in this space. Is that what you experienced? Just sort of even in school? Yes, I and the and the women that are in the industry and in tech aren't necessarily on the forefront or speaking out loudly about it. So I think what you guys are doing to give them a voice and highlight that this is something that women are interested in as well. And, you know, helping to pioneer is, is great. And not only that, it's, it's going to lead more women into the industry and the field as well, whether that be the, just the overarching tech industry in the field, but as well as the mortgage industry and the appraisal industry as well. 
And and I think I think that leads into something I wanted to ask. And there's really sort of a two pronged part to this. First, being just in general, how do we get more women involved, interested in tech, and interested in STEM, and sort of going down this path? Continuing to highlight women that are in this field and um, not just in the field in terms of what's happening in the mortgage industry, but in other fields as well. I think the greatest, (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, I think the greatest thing we can do is it's not just about highlighting the women in this industry and showing them that there are role models, but it's also highlighting other industries as well. I think some of the best solutions come out of what other industries are doing to solve the same kind of problems or relatively similar systemic problems. So I think continuing to highlight some of those solutions that women have put in place will not only inspire other women in this industry, but others as well. And and then from there, how do we get women into the mortgage industry and into fintech more generally? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, I'm interested in STEM and I love robots and I love dealing with renewable energy and some of the other way, you know, building computers. How do we get women interested in fintech? I think the best way to do it is start early on. I mean, we, so at Appraisal Vision, we ran a case study at the University of Tampa, which is where I went for my undergrad. And we talked to the students about the appraisal industry and the mortgage industry. And we gave them essentially a problem to help us solve. And it was a part of their um, senior uh, capstone project. And the majority of them not only didn't really understand the mortgage industry, but didn't even um, really know everything that went into the appraisal process even, which is primarily where appraisal vision is uh, focused. And I think getting into even something as simple as getting into schools and educating the people that are going to be making their career choices coming very coming up and very shortly is a great way to get in front of them, not only the women, but just the younger generation overall. Yeah, absolutely. Important to show them sort of this is what the mortgage industry is because I think a lot of people look at it as it's it's filling out forms and helping people uh, right. sort of just qualify. And there's obviously a, a lot to it. Talk to me a little bit about you and your path and how you ended up where you are now. Um, that's a great question. So I was I was going to the University of Tampa for my bachelor's degree in international business finance. French and international studies. So my degree was a little all over the map. And I was working at a law firm at the time, just, you know, as a file clerk. And I was coming up on my final semester and I was graduating a semester early and I was, you know, scouring LinkedIn for any kind of opportunity. And I found a posting by my current CEO, Jim Cotillo, for an executive assistant position. And I applied and I sent him a message letting him know that I was really interested to hear more. And we ended up talking on the phone. And so I originally got hired as his executive assistant. And I started out 
primarily just, you know, scheduling, helping administration, um, helping to manage the benefits and payroll and all of that, really not something I had ever done. And he originally asked me on my interview um, with the degree that I had in international finance, why, why do I want to be an assistant? And I really, at the time, just wanted to learn everything I possibly could. And that's exactly what got me hired. I have done just about any everything that you could imagine um, in this company. I've helped with the website, uh, marketing, um, client invoicing, customer success, uh, product management. And how I got into the product primarily is that I... He came to me with, you know, what was a little project or what he told me was a little project. And it ended up being uh, the version one of one of our big, biggest products today. And that's can I've grown with the product over time and learned a lot from our development team. And so having the exposure to the entire the entire business like I have, which I know is a really unique position to be in, it really helped me develop an appreciation for product management and the way technology can, you know, transform an entire industry, the way data can transform an entire business. So that's when I went back to Jim and um, let him know, let him knew that I was interested in going back to pursue my master's. And so that's where I ended up specializing. And had you, I think that's interesting because we always think of when people are in tech and obviously in, in the mortgage industry and in FinTech, it's, it's, software. It's not just robotics and things, but when we think of people with tech, we think of people who just are like fascinated with building, you know, motherboards on computers or like, I took away, I took apart this remote control car and built it back together. You're <laughs> obviously a very different path. Had you thought of getting into tech or is that just sort of like, Oh, wow. I actually really like this. I, it, it ended up just being something I really enjoyed. I, like many other young people going to get their bachelor's degree, I had no idea what I wanted to do with that. I have gotten some exposure to finance. I, my bachelor's was in international finance and with the exposure that I've had at appraisal vision, I, what, what I've learned over time about myself and my interests is that I, it's not necessarily a specialization into tech versus finance versus marketing. It's more that I love to be able to look at, you know, the, the business holistically and help strategize and figure out how to do things in different departments to, you know, for the, for the overall benefit of the organization and with more of like a strategic focus. And, um, that's what, you know, my time, not just in finance, but product has really taught me. It's, it's not necessarily about, um, you know, what can we do to improve the system? It's, I really like being able to think critically about what can we do to improve the end users day to day and make their lives easier. And, and given your sort of experience, you know, again, we think of, of tech as the, you know, people go to school to learn tech, obviously your experience, would you say it shows that you know, people people can make this transition at 
points, not that it was late in your career, but they can make it later on than what's typical if they sort of have that mind and that desire to like take a problem and solve it. However, that problem gets solved. Absolutely. I, you know, part of my master's, they, it was an executive program. So they required a minimum of seven years of experience. I really only had a couple years and I got in because I got some really great letters of recommendation. So they let me in a little probably earlier than they should have, but the majority of the people in my class were older and well into their careers and looking to just, you know, make a change or move up in the or- their own organization. I think there's a lot you can learn from a lot of different areas of, you know, a business to even bring into me, um, you know, a, a tech role. So I, if people are looking to change, I would absolutely tell them to change and change again and, and change again. You know, it's, there's so many different roles in tech that you can fall into. I just happen to fall into a bunch of them, but you know, whether it's product management or project management or um, technical writing, you know, it really doesn't matter it, if, if that's what you love to do, it's, or even think it's something you'd be interested in. It's definitely worth trying out because I think there's a lot of different skills from no matter what role you fall into that carry into others. So it's definitely never too late. And a lot of the people I went to school with definitely made that clear. I also want to talk to you a little bit about the state of tech in the industry and sort of where you see things going. Is is there something whether it's a product, a trend, an area of the mortgage industry that's really getting a lot of attention right now. If, if I'm an originator and, and I just want to sort of be aware of, of what's coming, is there something we should be looking out for, uh, like sort of the future of, of the mortgage industry? That's a great question. I, I think that, you know, what people should really look out for and keep an eye on is what sharing data can do. It's other industries have done it. I mean, the medical field has done it. Think about if you were, you know, you move and you end up going to a different doctor and they don't have all of your information. If you had to run, you know, all the same tests over again, because the doctors weren't willing to share information, you're just going to end up with a huge bill that doesn't really, you know, help anyone out. I think sharing data, not just in this industry, but any industry is really going to help push things along. There's other industries out there today that are, you know, really pioneering impressive technologies and models that, you know, I, I don't think the industry, the mortgage industry specifically is even, you know, really aware of what that could do. So I, I would suggest that people start looking outside to other industries to see what, um, to see, to see the way other people in other industries are solving problems that they might not even realize they could solve today. And, and what kind of data, you know, how would that look in the mortgage industry? Obviously you brought up the example of, of healthcare, where you have electronic records and if you're in network, you know, one doctor can share info with your heart doctor and your, your hip doctor and, and everything else. 
How would that look in the mortgage industry? Sort of what kind of data and who's sharing it with whom? Oh, um, we're primarily in the appraisal and valuation space, but I mean, even thinking about appraisal reports, just as one facet of the mortgage industry, you can run an AVM and you get one value. You can run, you can order an appraisal and you get a completely different value. You can order a second appraisal and you could get a completely different value. I think bringing all the information together, you know, instead of these siloed data sources, really bringing all, all that information together and making that accessible is only going to is only going to drive more accurate valuations forward and um you know, help reduce risk. So that's just you know, kind of one example of how sharing data across the industry could be uh, beneficial. Yeah, that's a really interesting example because uh, obviously then you could be like, well, hey, there's a wide gap here. Let's look at why and see what this property is really worth. Or no, we've reaffirmed this property is kind of within this $5,000 range. Why, why do you think that you, you mentioned the word siloed? Why do you, do you think it's because everyone is siloed? And, and why is that? Is it problems get solved piecemeal or do you think there's just not cooperation because everyone feels competitive with everyone else? I think part of it is a competitive factor, but I think another part of it is really there's, I was reading an article not that long ago and it was kind of outlining the ideas of privacy panic. You know, people are afraid to share their data because they don't understand necessarily how it's going to be used. Um, so the people that are, you know, on the forefront of sharing their data and helping these technologies come together and build something that'll, you know, benefit the industry are the ones that, you know, really understand what sharing data and collaboration is going to do. Um, I, I think a lot of it comes from a place of not necessarily understanding how it's going to be used, but I think part of that is also on tech companies to make sure that they're communicating that effectively. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because people are so worried, not just consumers, but companies are worried about data privacy and, and the trouble that they can get into. What advice would you have for people as they're going down this path and you know, they they hear you, Sydney, talking about the need to share data and be collaborative, and they think that's great. But what should they also be mindful of or looking out for to make sure they're doing it in ways that are secure and that they're not opening themselves up to maybe perhaps some some regulations or some lawsuits for exposing people's data? That's a good question. I I really think, you know, it's it's hard because there's there's so much information out there that it it can be a a little daunting trying to get in and understand it where this is all going and where the industry could be going. I, I think it's the best way to, I think the best way to start is learn how under, how other industries are using data and what it's doing for, you know, their day to day. I mean, case studies, um, you know, Gartner has a, has a great database. I, read case studies from Gartner all the time. Um, and I did through school. Um, it really helps to, you know, comprehend the way other industries are doing it so that it can be applied to the industry that we're all in today. I, 
Um, No, I think you make, obviously we don't have to reinvent the wheel because the mortgage industry is not the only ones dealing with this. And there are other industries who are, who are doing uh, great work with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I would just, you know, I, I read all the time. I think, I think it's the most beneficial people thing people can do is not just education doesn't always have to come in, in the same form as, you know, a, a four-year higher education degree or, um, you know, online classes, it, it can be as simple as, you know, reading a couple articles every morning or talking to other people from other industries. Absolutely. Uh, some great insight, Sydney. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And you can see all of our women of tech in Mortgage Women Magazine available now at mortgagewomenmagazine.com. We'll be right back with the rest of your headlines. The Originator Connect Network, the nation's largest producer of mortgage events, is about fostering a community founded on professionalism, collaboration, and personal and professional growth, connecting you to the story of your success. Welcome back. Here's your headlines for today, February 9th. Loan Depot founder Anthony Sai isn't letting go of his proxy fight. He's accusing the board of trying to run out the clock on his handpicked nominee to join the board. He also pushed back on Loan Depot's characteristic of his end as executive chairman. He says the board had a 5-2 vote at a special meeting, not a unanimous decision. He also says the board didn't tell him about the meeting. But he says the decision is mutual because he no longer wants the role after the board voted to oust him. He is still chairman of the board. This has been The Principal, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Cotamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygaze. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening. 